0: Hey, welcome back, everybody! Thanks so much for being here, Derek. Thanks for and thanks for picking out those songs for leading us. Thanks, everybody, for participating. And you know, whether you are here or whether you're there watching online, just thanks so much for making us part of of your Sunday. I mean, it's great to be back on campus and to to be spread out, uh, but to be able to come together and to uh, and to worship. And you know, we continue to pray that that sooner more than later, more of you who are watching will be able to come and to to be with us. Again, it was great to be able to um, see see friends earlier today at the uh, 9 a.m. service and uh, just getting started in our Family Life Center is our Hispanic worship and we're glad that brothers and sisters are able to uh, be back together there. And then uh, for you guys here and for watching online, we're just so thankful that you're able able to join us, we want you to know, hey, we are saving a seat for you. And um, you might end up sitting next to this guy the next time that you end up coming. (laughs) Hey, even Senator Sanders enjoys Sundays at EB, all right? Isn't that great? Hey, because Sundays are great. Hey, Sundays are wonderful, but more of life is lived Monday through Saturday. Uh, And I don't know if you've noticed this before, but this is just kind of the way it happens. The doctor runs the test on Tuesday and then you get the results on Thursday. Someone, someone perhaps serves you with papers at work on Wednesday morning. You have a wreck on Saturday. You get called about a bounce check on Friday. You're, you're told on Monday that your child is sick at school. Sundays are good. Sundays are life-affirming days. It's song and sermon. It's lunch with family and friends. And we look forward. We've been planning on this all week long, saying, yes, we get to be back together. The band's getting back together. It's going to be awesome. It's good to be a Christian on Sundays. But life is more than Sundays. And life is tougher on those other days, it seems. Disappointments, they hit hard. and, And tragedies create doubt. And we reap the... We reap the fruit of sometimes our foolish decisions or our sinful choices, and we get boxed into painfully tight corners. But it's life, and life means reality, and life means sin, and life means hardships, and life means problems, and let's just be honest, being a Christian, it sometimes isn't fun on those days. It's hard, and it's a test, and it's the true measure of our discipleship. Life means that Mondays will always follow Sunday. And that means that we need a Sunday faith for a Monday world. And that's why I'm glad that that our God has preserved for us in Scripture the writings of a man by the name of James. Because James writes about life. I mean, he writes about real, in-your-face, hit-me-where-I-work, hit-me-where-I-live life. I mean, how should I handle adversity? Well, James talks about it. Arguing with your spouse or with your kids, well, it's in there. You're concerned about finances, it's there too. Maybe you're dealing with temptation, control issues. You've got difficult decisions that are coming up, and James addresses all of them. The life lessons from James show us how to make a difference in our our city, in our neighborhood, and in our living rooms. You see, this series, Difference Makers, is part of something that I'm calling Living Room Lessons. Living room lessons. Messages that are more about application than, than theory. Lessons that work, no matter if you're listening to us right now on a podcast while you're driving to work, or maybe you're in your kitchen, or you're here on our campus. It hits you right now and has an impact right where, well, right where you live. You know, I, I think one of the main things that ends up causing us trouble in life is the fact that, man, sometimes we are just so immature. Have you noticed that about yourself, that there is an immaturity factor, and we get ourselves into all kinds of trouble because we say immature things, or we have immature decisions, or we're acting in immature ways, and we just need to grow up? Remember when your parents used to tell you that? Some of your parents still tell you that, right? They would say, I just wish you would grow up. Just grow up. And you would respond back and say, I know you are, but what am I? I mean, because you were so mature, right? You were already so grown up. But I remember, I remember when I was a kid thinking that there was some magical moment. That there was this moment where you would cross over from being an immature person to a mature person. And it would just happen. I don't know, somewhere around the age of maybe 20, I guess. Where all of a sudden you wake up and, man, you feel more mature. And you make mature decisions. And you do mature things, and you just carry yourself differently, and your voice change. But then around that magical age, I myself, man, I myself, I I hurried out one day. I was right around 20. I rushed outside of my apartment at school, ready to drive to class to take a very important final, only to find that some of my other very mature 20-something friends had saran-wrapped my car. They had saran wrapped my car during the night. And I had to get across campus. And, needless to say, that was not what I wanted to find. And needless to say, I acted in an immature way and I got them back. I did. It was, it was great. That'll be another lesson for another time. But you know, maturity just, man, it's that elusive golden snitch. It's just right out there and we're just reaching for it and we're trying to get it. But yet it's just so difficult. And through the years, I've been so disappointed in others. And I've been even more disappointed in myself. I mean, think about what a difference could be made. What a difference could be made in your life if you just grow up. So, But what's maturity? Let's talk about that for a minute. Uh, I... How do you know if you've arrived? How do you know if you've, if you've made it? Well, first let me say this. Uh, maturity is not age, okay? Maturity has nothing to do with how old you are, or with how long you've been a Christian. Uh, you could have been a Christian for 50 years and still not be mature. I saw a bumper sticker one time that, that said, I might be getting older, but I refuse to grow up. And it was on Steve Kahn's car. I just want you to know that's where I saw it. And I, but I've seen, I've seen some 50 and 60-year-old kids so maturity has nothing to do with your age. And also maturity has nothing to do with appearance. Now, there are some people that just, they just look, you know, mature. Some people just, just look grown up. And they just look more spiritual than the rest of us. They look more dignified. They look more holy. And then, well, for us, it's just, well, good luck. <laughs> I mean, I hope that you can fake it till you make it. But the fact is that you can look real spiritual and not be spiritual at all. Has nothing to do with your appearance. And let me add, it has nothing to do with achievement or accomplishments. I mean, you can accomplish all kinds of things in life and still be immature. Can we look at our politics lately, right? You, you don't have to be mature to make millions of dollars. You don't have to be mature to have a check mark put next to your social media account. You can still be immature as all get out. And maturity has nothing to do with academics doesn't matter how many degrees you have or where you went to school or when you graduated. I know that when I graduated from high school, and I thought, I, I mean, I knew it all, right? I mean, i would gone to high school. They'd give me the diploma. That diploma meant I knew about life. And then I went to college, and I found out that there were some things I didn't know. But by the time I graduated college, I knew that I knew it all then. I mean, I'd made it to college. And, and, and so I knew what was going on, but it has nothing to do with academics, Because I got married and Tanya said, you have no idea, right? You can have all kinds of degrees. You can have so many, in fact, they call you Dr. Fahrenheit, but it doesn't make you mature. But Scripture says that it is our attitude that determines our maturity. Our attitude is what determines whether or not we are mature or not. It's the attitude that makes the difference because God God wants for us to have a Christ-like response to life. And he wants us to be Christ-like in our maturity, where we don't compare ourselves to other people to see whether or not we have grown up, but we compare ourselves to the very character of Christ. And so what God does, he uses the pen of James to write for us a manual on maturity. And there's five chapters in his short letter that that suggest there are five different areas where I think we can focus on. And the first test of maturity, as you look through James, is how we react to problems. I mean, how do you handle trials? Do you get blown away by them? Do you just get rocked to your core when something goes wrong? Uh, Do you get nervous? Do you get uptight? Do you grumble? Do you you gripe? James says that a mature person is positive under pressure. Positive under pressure. So he says right at the outset, consider it joy, rejoice whenever you experience various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, but endurance must do its complete work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. You see, dealing with troubles is not an elective in life. It is required course. And so James offers a peculiar and unexpected perspective. He says that when times are difficult, you meet it not with frustration and not with anger, but instead with joy. Life's problems put our faith on the witness stand and and there for everyone to see, for those with whom we work and live, and they see exactly what it is that we believe. And while most people get pessimistic or, or they become cynical or they go into despair, James says, look, hey, for the Christian, there is a different response. There's joy. So how in the world does that work? Well, he spends the first chapter talking about how that look when troubles come God uses those troubles to mold your character So that when the troubles are over guess what you look more like Jesus than when those troubles started He also says that look you can be assured that when you're in the midst of the fire of the pain that God has his hand on the thermostat And he'll go on to say that look when you're struggling God is eager to give you wisdom so that in the midst of the problems you can make wise choices and then finally there in chapter 1, he reminds us the fact that these struggles are just temporary and, and we need to compare them to our eternity. You know, there's no such thing to a problem-free life. But when the pressure of life is pushing in against us, God is working inside of us, allowing a mature person to be positive under pressure. Now in chapter 2, James points out that a mature person is sensitive to people. You see people. You, you see their their needs. You see the pain that they're dealing with. You see the hurt that is present in their life. You see what they value. You know, as children, we're always immature because we're always saying, well, I want this, and, and I want that, and I don't care about anybody else. But God said as you mature, that love, being interested in others, well, that's, well, that's the mark of maturity. And James is going to get very specific He says, my dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? Now the story is told of of Gandhi when he was a college student in South Africa. And there he began to read the New Testament and he became enamored with the teachings of Jesus. In search of answers, he went to a church and seeking out the pastor to be able to to converse and to talk about exactly who this Jesus person was. But when he arrived, he was stopped by an usher and told, well, you can't come into this church. There's a church for people your color elsewhere. And Gandhi would later write in his biography, so I decided then and there, if Christianity has a caste system too, then I might as well stay Hindu. Let that sink in for a minute. You see, the way we treat people tells others what we believe about God. So James says, you don't play favorites. You're not a snob. He says, don't look down on people. Don't judge by appearance. Don't insult people. Don't segregate people. Don't exploit people. And it's interesting to me that in the Matthew 25 judgment, the one, thing, the one thing that Jesus points out that we were going to be judged on is how we treat other people. It's not how many Bible verses that, that we knew or how many times we went to church or, or how great we were when it came to being Christian leaders, but how we treated others. So James writes, it is good when you obey the royal law that's found in Scripture. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others... You're committing a sin. Hmm. Man, talk about hitting you in your living room, right? Well, how about this one? A third sign of maturity is being able to be careful with what you say. James points out that we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a mature man who is able to control his whole body. I remember going to the doctor as a kid, and it seemed like every time the doctor would always start out in the same place. The doctor would walk in and say, hey, I want you to stick out your tongue and say, ah, oh. and I remember being there going, ah, oh. and he would get that tongue depressor and put it in my mouth, and, you know, they choke you. I don't know what they're checking for back there. And yet God, I think God on Monday morning sometimes is saying, why don't you stick out your tongue and let me check? Because self-control is exhibited in tongue control. In chapter 3, James gives several illustrations. He says that our tongue is is like the rudder on a ship. It's a, a bit in a horse's mouth. It's a spark. It's a snake. It's a spring. And he says this tongue, which is so small compared to the rest of your body, is so significant because it actually controls your life. And he says, by what you say, you direct your life. By what you say, you can destroy or delight people's lives. You can discourage. You can encourage. He says your tongue is a powerful force for good or for evil. And listen, he doesn't pull any punches. He says if you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, then you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. So I've memorized 100,000 verses and I've been through every Bible study in the book and I go to every church service every time the doors are open. But I'm a gossip then my religion is worthless. If I spread rumors, it's worthless. If I'm always saying things that are not exactly accurate and I exaggerate impulsively, if I'm constantly arguing with others, either in person or on social media, if I'm spewing cursings in vulgar language, my religion, my discipleship is worthless no matter what I do. See, the test of maturity is to be careful careful, little mouth, what you say. Be careful so that no corrupt communication, no negative talk slips out. The way that you speak makes a difference. And if you want to stand out in this world, man, if you want to be different at school? You, you want to be different in the office? You want to be different on the ball field? Then you speak in a way that brings honor and glory to God. And I guarantee you, you will be a difference maker. You will be. Now, you continue to read through James, and and you discover in chapter 4 that a mature person, well, that mature person is a peacemaker and not a troublemaker. Now, kind of goes hand-in-hand with with what he talked about in chapter 3. Because some of us, let me tell you, we just love to argue. My parents told me when I was a kid, you would argue with a fence post, wouldn't you? And yes, I would, if I thought I was right, which I did every single day. And so we like to argue, but sometimes— Not only argue, we are contentious. And some of us get our feelings hurt. And some of us get defensive. And some of us then lash out and we hurt other people's feelings. We need to be able to ask ourselves, are we peacemakers or are we troublemakers? James says, hey, what causes fights and quarrels among you? And then he answers his own question. He says, don't they come from the desires that battle within you? He says, there's so much conflict in the world. There's so much conflict in marriages and and at work. There's conflict between friends. There's conflict in politics. There's conflict between, between you and other Christians. And he says, why is there conflict between you and God? And it's because, James says, we're selfish. We're selfish. When I want only what I want, then I'm going to have conflict with somebody. And the issue comes down to pride. And a great indicator of The pride factor in my life is to listen to my prayers. I mean, if I'm always praying self-centered, Lord, bless me, and Lord, protect me, and Lord, prosper me, and, and Lord, use me, and Lord, help me prayers, if that's the kind of prayers that I'm constantly praying, then it's a window to my immaturity. And James says, look, don't be surprised, Chris, when you don't get what you ask for, because your motives are all wrong. You're all focused on yourself. Proverbs 13.10 says, Arrogance leads to nothing but strife. Pride guarantees that there's going to be conflict at work. There'll be conflict in the church. There'll be conflict in your home. There'll be conflict in school, wherever. Because where there is pride, there will be immaturity. And where there is immaturity, there will be trouble. But you be different. You be the peacemaker. Now, look, throughout his letter, James shares the secret of maturity to a scattered and and separated people. He's talking to people whose lives had been turned upside down. He's talking to people—I mean, we can relate. People who have been quarantined from family and friends, people who have not been able to go and be a part of their jobs, their whole life stopped because of the beliefs that they had. That was their virus. And he writes and he says, you know— During these times, it's easy to to be tempted to complain and to covet and to to show partiality and to curse and to fight and to judge and maybe just even gives up. And so when he comes to the end of his message, he wraps up all of his thoughts and he focuses in on two key words. And there in chapter 5, four times he uses the word patient. And seven times he uses the word prayer. You see, the mark of a mature person is that they are patiently prayerful. You're patient. You pray. It goes together because these attitudes express a dependence upon God. And James gives this illustration of a farmer. And if anyone, man, if anybody has to be patient, it's the farmer because he does a lot of waiting. He puts the seed in the ground and he waits and he prays and he hopes and he expects and he waits. And there are no overnight crops. And friends, there are no overnight answers to prayer usually. We have to wait on God. We have to wait on God for a miracle. We have to wait on God to work in our lives. We have to wait and that patience is part of the maturity. And the way in which God grows our patience is in the waiting. You know, my children had to learn the difference between no and not yet. How about yours? Right? When they ask for something, you're like, ah, you know, not yet. Especially whenever it was close to a birthday, whenever it was close to Christmas, it's like, no, we're not going to be able to do that yet. And what did the kids hear? No. And you shall never ask again. That's what they heard. But, but not yet does not mean no. It just means you've got to wait. And God says, I want to develop. I want to mature you. I want you to grow. So let's, let's close this down. In the moment of quietness as we, as we wrap things up, I want us to do a little personal evaluation. You see, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It only matters what God knows. Right? I mean, it matters what God knows because I can fool you and, well, you know, you can fool me. We can fool others. But none of us can fool God. He knows exactly what is in our heart. So let me ask you, are you growing up? Or are you just growing old? Which is it? You see, this is where, this is what it really hits home, right? Where it comes into the living room. And whether you're watching online or or whether you're here, where all of a sudden it starts to get personal where all of a sudden the words of James start to to hit really close to home. You know it used to be whenever we would come together, we would close out our time and we would offer we would offer a time of of encouragement of prayer, and we would say, "Hey, look, if you need the prayers of this church family, we encourage you to come down and let that be known, and we would spend time praying for you and If you'd like to be baptized into Christ because of your belief in who Jesus is and claim him as your Savior, we would invite you to come and do that. And uh, due to some health reasons, we've had to kind of change a little bit the way that we go about things. And I do want you to know that uh, there's a prayer room in our lobby and one of our elders will be there at that prayer room when we're done today. And if you would like just some private time spaced out with someone to um, speak with and someone to pray with, that opportunity will be available to you. But just right here now, I just want you to sit in your living room for a minute and I want you to think about some, maybe some prayers that you need to pray right now. How are you doing when it comes to being positive under pressure? Do you need to pray and say, God, I just, I just get all worked up when everything starts to close in on me and Lord, I need, you, I, need you to, I need you to give me a more positive spirit so I'm not going to grumble, I'm not going to complain, all the time when when things don't go my way. And how are you when it comes to being sensitive to others? Do you you need to pause right now and pray and say, God, I I just get caught up in my own life and and I, I don't see the things that are going on around me? Do some of you, you wives, do you need to pray and say, you know what, Lord, I need your forgiveness because I'm not sensitive to my husband? And I just sit there and scroll through social media. And I, I just sit there and binge watch my television shows. And I don't really care about what's going on in his life. Or talk with him about what's happening with his day. Or maybe you need to pray and say, God, I just get so, I just, get so just angry with my kids sometimes. And I need to remember that, that the immaturity that I, that I see in them, Father, they see the similar immaturity in me. I need you to change my attitude. And maybe some of you husbands, you need to pray and say, you know what, I, Father, I don't know what's going on in my wife's life because I don't ask and I don't spend the time and I try to just separate myself so I don't have to deal with some difficult issues. Father, give me a heart for my wife again. Maybe you need to pray that you would not judge, that you would not separate, that you would not be someone who decides who's worthy and who's not. Maybe you need to be praying to God right now about your tongue, about your, your, your mouth, the way that you speak. And you need to say, God, I, I, I've, I've been at gossip, and God, I've, I've shared rumors, and, and God, I haven't been uplifting others. And Father, you know that the way I speak when I'm at school is different than the way I speak when I'm at the church house. And Father, the way that I speak at work is not the same way I speak at home. And Father, the way that I speak at home, God, it's not bringing honor to you. Yeah, you know, I want to do better. And maybe you need to pray and say, God, I know that my tongue's got me in trouble and I realize I'm a troublemaker. I'm not a peacemaker. I like to stir the pot and I, and I like to, to really give it to people at work and I, I like to get on people's nerves. But God, that's not what you want from me and I need to be more peaceful. I need to think about your son more. And maybe what you need to do right now is just to pray for Patience. To say, Lord, I've been coming to you a long time and I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting for you to answer. Help me to see not yet in a different light. Help me to continue to come to you. Help me to continue to trust you. Help me to continue to call out to you. Maybe you need to pray some of those prayers or maybe you need to pray some that are totally different. But right now in your living room, why don't you talk to God? Father thank you for thank you for the message from James and how that so much of what he so much of what he wrote down that would be sent out to people who were just scattered around like little BBs on a table so much of what he wrote was just so practical and, and father truly helpful because you desire for your people to make a difference you desire for your people to stand out And you desire for your people to be influencers and impact makers. So Father, we pray right now that we might become more mature. That we would grow up in you. That our character would look more like Christ. That we would step aside from so much of the immaturity that has been holding on to our lives and been causing us so much trouble. And Father, whether it be the the pressures that we feel, whether it's the people that we're around, the words that we say, whether it's the environments that we create, whether, Father, it be the the way in which we are quick to react. Father, whatever it is that we need to become more mature in, we ask through your Spirit that you help us grow. We humble our pride before you. And, Father, we thank you for Jesus Not only because through him we are able to offer this prayer, but because of his sacrifice, Father, our sinful immaturity is not held against us. And so we say thank you and ask for another day that we might grow up and make a difference for you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Derek, let's sing some more together.